So we're going to start out this morning in Genesis chapter 3. So if you read with me from Genesis chapter 3, we're going to read from verse 8 onwards. I'm sure we're all familiar with the story, but if you're not, what has happened prior to what we're going to read is God had created the Garden of Eden. We know that he created a man and he gave the man a woman named Eve. And they were working in perfect, well, walking in perfect harmony, walking in perfect fellowship, walking in perfect unity with God. And in chapter three, the serpent comes to deceive Eve and he comes to deceive Adam. We know that the only instruction that God gave to Adam was do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so the serpent comes to tempt Eve, to deceive Eve. And basically she eats the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then the Bible says, and she gave some of the fruit to her husband who was with her. Okay, so he was right there too. So we don't just blame Eve, we blame Adam too. All the women say, yeah, yeah, man, come on. (laughs) So we're gonna pick it up in verse eight. It's just after they've eaten the fruit and it says this, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, this is God, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman you gave to me, sorry, the woman you gave to be with me She gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Verse 20, the man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And so, like I said, Adam and Eve transgressed They sinned against the Lord and what we see in this beautiful place that God had made, this place of fellowship, this place of intimacy, is that they now had to leave the Garden of Eden. And what I wanna show us this morning is that the story doesn't just stop there. 
there was a far greater consequence to their disobedience than them just leaving the Garden of Eden. And we see this reflected in the New Testament. So if I want you to go with me to Romans chapter five, and we're gonna read verse 12, and we see the impact and how, how like, truly detrimental that one moment of disobedience was, that one moment of choosing to transgress, that one moment of choosing sin over obedience, of choosing sin over holiness, there was such a dramatic impact that would change the course of history for mankind forever. That even you and I, myself today, we walk in the consequence of the sin of Adam and Eve. And so we see this here in Romans chapter five, verse 12, talking about Adam. It's a reference to what we just read now in Genesis chapter three. This is what Romans five, verse 12 is talking about. And it says there, therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. I read again, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. So there's two things we can look at. First of all is that death came into the world through sin. And so we go back to Genesis chapter one. You'll remember that where it says that Adam and Eve were put in dominion over the earth. In other words, they were custodians of the earth. They were put in stewardship over this realm, this natural realm that we taste, see, touch, smell, and hear, this realm that we exist in. They were the custodians. They were the gatekeepers of this realm. And so they had authority. And so what it's telling us here is that death came in. In other words, a gate was opened to sin. Sin didn't exist prior in Genesis chapter one, Genesis chapter two, in that perfect place of Eden, there was no such thing as sin. There was no such thing as disobedience. It was present in the heart of the serpent. But when Adam and Eve sinned, they opened the gate to sin. And what happened in that moment, if you can imagine it like this, is sin became, it's like a little, it's like a virus. You know, you can't see it, but it's there and it just spreads quickly. So they open this gate and sin came into man. Sin came into the world. But more than that, what we see in Romans chapter five, verse 12, is that when sin came, it had dire consequences. Sin wasn't just like God was like, oh, don't worry guys, it's, it's just sin. You know, it's not a big deal. Actually, it was a very big deal. And so the, that happiness that they knew that, that unity with God that they knew, that, that, that can you imagine living life without like any like negative experience, like never sick, right? Never any heartbreak, never any sorrow, never any strife, never any negative thing that you can think of that you experience in this earth. They lived that out. They were in perfect bliss perfect paradise. And now they moved out of that place. You can imagine for them the extreme, we, don't, we can't really grasp it because we've never experienced it. Only when we get to heaven will we experience what it was really like. But the contrast of life that they now experience, moving out of the garden and now having this thing on them, and now they've got these new emotions and new feelings of shame and guilt and all these, these things, the, the, the work of sin in them. 
And so what it says here in Romans chapter five, verse 12, when sin came in, like a virus, it began to spread. But then it said this, sin brought death. And death spread to all men. And it's so interesting, if you look back in Genesis chapter three, it's spiritually, it's socially, it's mentally, it's physically and financially. And so the whole man was affected by sin. It wasn't just a spiritual condition. Yes, it was foremost, but it goes and it, it has far-reaching implications into the fullness of man where every area of man's life would now be affected by sin. So we see this in Genesis chapter three, verse eight, right? It says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the cool of the day and listened to this. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. First of all, spiritually, they experienced death. In the garden, they were, like I said, they were one with God. They, they were walked in the cool of the day with God. Man and Eve, or Adam and Eve, man was created for relationship with God. And immediately we see sin. It's crazy. It's just like, when you get flu, right? It's like, you don't even know you have flu for like a couple of days. And then like you start getting a couple of symptoms and it hits you like a week later. But this is like a virus on steroids. It's like as soon as they ate of the apple, it's also an apple, it's not an apple guys, don't worry. <laughs> they ate of the fruit. As soon as they ate of the fruit, the virus kicked in immediately in 100% full blown capacity. And so death, immediately death came spiritually. And so God came to fellowship with man. God came to, to, to love on His children, but here we see them immediately that death has come in their spiritual relationship with God. And so they no longer feel that they can connect with Him. They no longer feel that they can look Him in His eyes. They no longer feel that they can look Him in His face and experience His goodness. And so what they do and we see the effect of sin is that they, they put a barrier between themselves and God and they actually hide away from Him so that He can't see them. And so death comes spiritually. What about socially? Well, in the Garden of Eden, I guarantee you, Adam and Eve never had a fight. They, like I said, we, we, it's kind of like we can't, our brains can't go there but they were lived in perfect harmony, perfect unity, absolute perfect bliss, not even one agitation, not even a frustration, not even, not even a, 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 not if, you, if you change the tone of your voice, you know, none of that. And so what we see here in verse 12 is immediately death comes in socially. Death comes in to their relationship and Adam points fingers at his wife. Meanwhile, if you read Genesis, it's actually Adam who was supposed to take care of his wife and tell her not to eat of the tree. That's what God said to Adam. Don't let your wife eat of it. So now the wife eats and Adam trying to preserve himself. Now there's like self-preservation here. He points the finger at his wife and says, well, actually it's her fault. And so we see death come into the relationship immediately. You kind of like think of her reaction. She's like, what the heck, bro? Why are you pointing at me? You know, so she's like trying to preserve herself. Like, what, what, what was it? It was a snake, you know? And so it's, it's just like immediately now, like there's this conflict 
between Adam and Eve. And we see it escalate even to the extreme in the very next chapter where their children, you know the story of Cain and Abel, the offspring of Adam and Eve, the two boys, one actually kills another. The death of, 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 into relationship, the death into the family unit. And we even see that today where the family unit is just like, it's all over the place. You know, fathers like, they have children, but they're not even fathers. They just like disappear. And they have fathers and their children there, children there, children there, you know, and then it's like, then this one's fighting with this one and this one's divorcing this one. It's like a big, I'm looking at Ines Gmors. It's a, it's a big mess. Death has come into the family unit. Death has come in socially to man. What about mentally? Well, we look at verse nine and verse 10. It says, but the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. Listen to this. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And so for the first time, we see death or Death, the death of sin bringing fear and bringing shame. Whereas before that didn't exist. Where they would walk, quite a weird picture, but they walk freely naked, vulnerable before the Father. But now they, 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 there's a mental anguish over their minds where they experience fear for the first time, where they're experiencing shame for the first time. So spiritually, they experience death between their relationship with self and God. Death in their relationship with one another. In, in, in socially, they experience death mentally where they're now experiencing these new things in their minds of anguish and of fear. But even physically, we see, we read it in verse 16 where there was no pain. Now it says that Eve is going to bring forth children in pain, where they would experience pain for the first time. And what about financially? Verse 19 tells us that Adam, well, let me read it, it says, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. Before, Adam could just go to any tree, just pick up the fruit, work the, to- work the, the soil. It was easy. There wasn't a toil. But we see even financially, death comes in. And he now has to toil. And we see that again. I mean, all of us can raise a hand. We know we're aware of this. That the, the toil of just surviving. Pastor Craig spoke about it last week, Sunday night. It's like just surviving. Just having enough. Just having food. Just having rent. And we see people out there who have nothing. There's, a, there's the, 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 the effect of sin has come in like a virus and it's spread to everything. It's spread to every nation. It's spread to every, every person in every corner of the world. And so we still, still see the destruction of sin today. The next thing we see is that sin incurs judgment, that there's a consequence for sin. And so we read it here in, from verse 14 to verse 19 where God brought judgment on their sin. He brought, there was, God, you messed up and there's a consequence for what you did. And so as we move on in this life, the Bible tells us that there's a greater consequence of sin. And I want us to look at that in Romans chapter two, verse five to eight. And this is very real. And I'm not trying to scare anyone into the kingdom, but the truth must be told. 
And so in Romans chapter two, verse five to eight, it says this. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honour and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and there will be fury. I want us to see what this looks like in Romans chapter, sorry, Revelation chapter 20. Verse 11 to 15. It says that then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then it says, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And listen to this verse 15. This is the stark reality. And this is gospel. This is Jesus. There's no gray area. It's, it's black and white. You know, and, and it's like, and I think as a church, we like, we try almost be too politically correct. You know, like, oh guys, just don't say that. Lloyd, you know, these visitors here, we want them to come back. You know, don't, don't be too confrontive with the gospel. But we're not doing anyone a service. We're not doing, helping anybody by being shy by holding back truth. And this, this is the truth. And it says here, verse 15, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he too was thrown into the lake of fire. Adam's sin, when death entered into the world, brought judgment. As I don't believe this, this nonsense, I don't know if you've heard it, but there's a doctrine going around that says God's too good to take people to hell. God's too good to allow people to burn in the lake of fire. And so they'll make up stuff, no, it's, that's just referring to something that happened in Jerusalem, or no, it's just poetic, he doesn't really mean it but it's a direct contradiction of what we just read in Romans chapter two. It says God's goodness leads to repentance. That's what God's goodness does. God is good, but on that day, there will be a judgment. For the believer, we will be judged for our good works. For the unbeliever, he experiences death on this earth, but he says there's a second death. There's a greater death to come. And so we see that the dire consequences of Adam's sin. And guys, and I, and I plead with you, 
Don't play with this stuff. Sin hasn't changed its nature. It hasn't, like, okay, guys, 2023, let's just relax a bit. The consequences, Bible clearly says, the consequences, the wages of sin is death. It's not just on Adam, it's on us too. And so when, when, we, when we dabble in it, when we, when we flirt with sin, it'll bring death. Whether that's spiritually, where you now experience this guilt and this condemnation, this shame, and you, you can't look the Father in the eye, whether it's relationally, now there's, a, there's, there's this war between yourself and your wife or your friend, Mentally, now you, 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 you open the door and you've got anxiety, whatever it is, socially, spiritually, mentally, financially, death will come. Sin hasn't changed its game. It's still as strong as it was in the Garden of Eden. That virus is still spreading throughout this earth. And so I want to encourage you, don't play with it. Don't play with sin. But what I want to see here, or what I want us to see is in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, we see what God does. And this is really what I want us to focus on this morning. In the midst of disobedience, in the midst of sin coming in, of death working its way through man, working its way through the earth, Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, God does this. And it says, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin, and he clothed them. And so we know that Adam and Eve, they tried to, it says that in, in verse 7 of chapter, two, chapter 3, sorry, it says they sewed fig leaves, and they tried to cover their shame. They tried to cover their sin. They tried to cover their disobedience. But God looked at that and said, Guys, that's not going to work. It would only take for your life life would have to be given. And so we see this, he, he takes the life of an animal. Blood is shed and skins are made not to cover their shame, not to cover, guys, I think we read it wrong sometimes. We think God made skins for them so that he wouldn't see their nakedness. He he's not perturbed by your nakedness. He made skins to cover their sin. Blood was shed to cover their sin. And so man, you'll see mankind still stuck on chapter three, verse seven. We, we sew these fig leaves together. I like what Joshua says, sometimes we come to church to have a conscience bath. And so, you know, once a year I come to church or every morning I just say my prayers just to be in right standing with God. What am I doing? I'm just sewing fig leaves together. But the, 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 the dire consequence of sin cannot be, cannot be covered, cannot be met by man's works, by man's good ideas or man's rituals or anything that I think I can do to please or to cover my sin. Blood had to be shed. Blood had to be given. Well, we know this life is in the blood. We did a, a first aid course, the staff here at Insight the other, the other day. And so what they tell you is like, if there's a wound and there's bleeding, do everything you can to stop 
the bleeding. Stop the blood from flowing out. It's just like, put pressure on it. If it's still bleeding, raise it up so it stops bleeding out. Why? Because the life is in the blood. When you don't have enough blood in your body, you will die. And so life was taken so that life could be given. And then we see this through the Old Testament. If you've read, hopefully you have the book of, <laughs> it's like we kind of like you read, Genesis is cool, Exodus, Joshua. <laughs> you know, we, we skip Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. Guys, just, it's really good. Read it through the lens of Christ, not through the lens of the Lord. And you begin to see, wow, that looks like Jesus. Wow, that looks like Jesus. You know. But anyway, so I'm gonna read something from Leviticus. Some of you have read this. Some of you have never read this in your whole life. In Leviticus chapter 16, so what God would now institute through the law of Moses was what we call a day of atonement. And so on the day of atonement, they would do similar to what God did where the priest would come. So the whole nation would gather at the temple once a year. The priest would go into the Holy of Holies and they would, they would slaughter animals. They would take the life of an animal for the life of the people. And they would take the blood of the animal and they would sprinkle it upon everything. Sprinkle it upon themselves. Sprinkle it upon the utensils of the temple. Sprinkle it upon the temple. And then they would sprinkle it upon the people. An atonement meaning to cover up, to, to pacify the, 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 the penalty of sin over their lives. And so we see this in Leviticus chapter 16. It says, Verse 15, it says, Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement, the covering up again, for the holy place because of all the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions and all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of the meeting which dwells with them in the midst of the uncleanness. But here's the thing. They just had to keep doing it. Every year, they had to slaughter these animals. Every year, they had to, to gather themselves together. Every year, they had to be sprinkled with blood. They had to, to do this whole ritual, to do this whole ceremony. Every single year, it was never enough. See, the blood of animals cannot overcome sin. The blood of animals could not reconcile them to God. It could not eliminate death. It could not appease the judgment of God. It was just a cover-up. It was just to pacify. It was the Garden of Eden all over again, the blood of an animal to cover up. And so year after year, they did these things. And we know that it was only fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And so we see this here in Hebrews chapter 10, if you'll go with me. Hebrews chapter 10, verse three to seven. Talking about what we've just read now and then pointing like I said, that's what Leviticus does. It points to Jesus Christ. And this is the good news. Thanks, Michelle. Well, let's read from verse one. Talking about this, this ritual of, of, of the shedding of the blood of an animal. It says, For since the law 
has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. It can never be by the same sacrifices that are continually offered year after year. This is the, the, the Day of Atonement. Who's, who make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they have not ceased to be offered since the worshippers have once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year. Listen to this. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and, the, and of goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. You'll remember in John chapter 1, when Jesus came into the public light, it says that John the Baptist was in the River Jordan and he was doing his thing, he was baptizing people. And Jesus walks past and John says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so, God would put this animal sacrifice, He would institute that just to, 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 almost like I said, to cover up the sins of man until the fullness of time when He could send the perfect sacrifice. And so we know that Jesus was, like we said now, He is the Lamb that was slain. He being blameless in all His ways. We know the Bible says that Jesus was tempted in all ways, yet without sin. And so the sacrifice that was needed, see, because like I said, the, the, the consequence of sin was so intense that the, 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 the death of sin, the, the, the purpose of sin, like I said, it's not a light thing. Otherwise, if it was just like a, you know, if it was just a thing, the blood of the animals would have been fine for it, right? But here, even in the sacrifice of Jesus, we see the intensity of sin, where God Himself would be the only one who could deal with it, where He would have to come and He would have to be born of a virgin, untainted by man's DNA, even. To, to, to walk, imagine this, 30 years. I think it would have been easy for him, like if he got crucified when he was 12 or something, because now he has to work 30 years of temptation. He says he was tempted in all ways. And so every temptation that we, we've experienced, every temptation that we've fallen prey to, he had to resist that. And he did. And he walked it out in this perfect, sinless life. And again, if you reference the, the Leviticus and all, all that, whenever they chose an animal, they would always have to, the, the priest would say, the animal has to be without blemish and it has to be without defect. In other words, the, the animal had to be perfect in all its ways. And so Jesus was the perfect lamb. He was the perfect sacrifice. And only through the shedding of His blood could we be redeemed, could we be, be rescued, not just covered up. That's the difference. The blood of animals covers up 
Our good works covers up. Our religion covers up. But Jesus rescues. Jesus takes away. And so we, we again, when we look at the cross, and, we, and I was asking myself this morning, Father, why was the cross so violent? Why did he have to suffer such intense torture? Why did he have to, to suffer such intense persecution? When, when you think about it, when you, the, the 39 lashes, right? Where they would whip his back, not just once. I mean, like if you think about it, like you whip it once, blood comes out. Father, is that not enough? But where they would, where they would torture this, this, you know, this man, this son of God, so much that, that in Isaiah it says, he, was, he, he didn't even look like a human anymore. He was beyond human appearance. They disfigured his body through the beatings so much. And just imagine how much blood was poured, how much blood was shed. And why was it so violent? Because sin is violent. Sin is violent. It masquerades, like even the Bible says, the devil masquerades as an angel of light. Sin masquerades, oh, it's just fun. It's just, it's just a little, it's just a little, it's just, it's okay, man. Everybody's doing it. It's okay. <laughs> Sound like the peer pressure drug guys. Everybody's doing it. <laughs> but it's like, that's how it comes. Like it's all, it's all good, man. It's fine. But behind that mask is a violent death seeking to destroy us, seeking to tear our lives apart, a violent beast seeking to destroy us. And so Jesus died a violent death to defeat a violent enemy. And then we see, in, read there, let's go there, John chapter 19. So he's been whipped. His beard has been plucked out. He's been mocked. He's been tortured on the cross. His side has been pierced. And where it says, oh, sorry, don't no, pierced side is only pierced after he died. Verse 28, John chapter 19, verse 28 to 30 says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, To fulfill the scripture, our thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mother. If you're like, what the heck is that about? That's a prophecy in the Old Testament about the crucifixion of Jesus. But then verse 30, it says, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said this, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And so in that moment, it is finished. The, the, the sacrifice that was needed. The blood that needed to be shed for, for Adam's sin, for our sin, for your sin, for my sin, past, present, and future. The, the, the sacrifice that was needed to destroy the consequences of sin and reconcile man back to God. In that moment, Jesus fulfilled it once and for all where we would no longer have to, imagine we have to come every Sunday and you've got to bring your animal. 
And it's like, I don't have any goats, so here's my cat. <laughs> you know, bring what you have. Go shoot a hardy down, bring it in or something. It's like, you just got to continually bring this and continually seeking to appease the Father. But Jesus said, this is it, guys. Nothing else is needed. Sin was violent. The, the consequences of sin were dire, but so was my death. And so are the, the consequences that I now bring through the cross. And so he takes all upon himself. The Bible tells us that in that moment, he didn't just die, but he took upon him the sins of the world. He took upon, imagine this, he took Adam's sin upon himself. That same sin that opened the gate to death, that same sin that opened the gate to that virus which, which now steals and kills and destroys, He took that on Himself. And all those in the thousands of years previous that He took their sins upon Himself. Looking this way, all those that were to come, including us, He took all their sins upon Himself. And He said, my blood is enough. My blood is sufficient for you. And there's nothing else that you need to do except believe. Nothing else that you need to do except to have faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. And now we, 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 we look in the, Old, in the New Testament and we, we see some scriptures and we begin to see the unfolding of the work of Jesus Christ. So I want us to do that, look at a couple of them. And so the first one's in Colossians chapter one. Verse 20 to 21, it says this, talking about Jesus and through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And so where we see in the beginning where Adam's sin immediately separated him from God, where he would hide behind a rock or he would hide behind a tree and where even he would have to leave the presence of God, he would have to leave the Garden of Eden. Man became separated from Father. Man became separated from God immediately through the blood of Jesus Christ. It says, we are reconciled. We are restored to relationship. That word reconciled means two parties which are in disagreement with one another, they become one again. They become friendly, like they're friendly terms again. That there's nothing between them that could separate them. And so immediately we see that we see Jesus We see the blood, we see the effect of the blood over mankind for those who would believe that they are reconciled to the Father, that we are children of God, nothing separating us, nothing between Him and us. The next one we see is in Romans chapter 5, verse 18. It says this, Therefore, as one trespass, again, this is Adam, right? Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness, describing, describing Jesus' death and resurrection, it says, leads to justification and life for all men. And so here's the big thing. Death comes through sin. 
Death came through sin. Animals could only cover it up. They could never deal with the power of sin. It would just cover it up, cover it up, cover it up, cover it up. But here's a big difference with the blood of Jesus. It says, He reverses the death of sin. And it says, where sin brought death, He now comes to bring life. He, through the blood of Jesus, He conquers. He doesn't just cover up sin. He conquers sin. He kicks it in the teeth and it goes running. He, he digs a grave and He hoys that guy inside. And it, just imagine, it's violent. He defeats sin. And so what does that mean for the redeemed? What does it mean for us who believe? What does it mean for us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ? We do not have to partake in the death of this world. The effect of sin that we see in this world. John 10, right? The enemy comes to steal, to kill and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it in abundance. And so where death came in spiritually, socially, mentally, physically, and financially, Jesus comes to the redeemed. Because of the blood which liberates us from death, He comes to give us life spiritually, socially, mentally, physically, and financially. When I, 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 through Jesus, I can have unity in my marriage. I can have peace in my marriage. I can have peace in my mind. I can have wholeness in my body. Wholeness in my relationships. Wholeness in my finances. This is what He died for. He died. This is what the blood was shed for. This is what the blood does. The blood was shed that we may have life. Let's go to Romans chapter 3, verse 25. And it says this, talking about Jesus, whom God put forward, and we see a big word here, as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. I read again, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. That word, propitiation, it means the appeasement of the wrath of God. So we talked about in the beginning how sin, the consequence of sin was judgment and how there will be a day of judgment. But for the believer, Jesus became the propitiation. In other words, he became, that word propitiation actually refers to the mercy seat in the old covenant. The mercy seat where they would throw the blood and, and, and ask God for the forgiveness of sins of the nation. Jesus became the mercy seat. He became the place where the blood was spilled. And God poured out His wrath upon Jesus. He poured out His judgment upon Jesus. And so the reality is that when that trumpet sounds, we can rejoice. We have confidence that when He calls us, our names will be found in that book. And that we don't have to spend eternity in the lake of fire.
don't walk away from him. If the world's calling you, if there's something calling you back into that old life, I just forget this Jesus thing. Bunch of hypocrites. Guys, you have no idea of the consequence of a decision like that. Hebrews chapter 10, it's, 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 it's a hectic scripture. It says, will you trample again underfoot the blood of Jesus? I look at what he did for me, how he gave his life, how he suffered and I think nothing of it. And I turn to the world, oh, great, this is so fun. Freedom, yeah, I get to do whatever I want to do. Boom. Day of judgment. Will your name be found in the Lamb's book of life? And so as believers, we, like I said, we have a confidence. We, we can rejoice knowing that we get to spend life in eternity, not death in eternity, but life in eternity with the Father, which the Bible describes as it's like the Garden of Eden. There's no sorrow. There's no tears. There's no strife. There's no sickness. This is our inheritance through the blood. He made a way through His blood. And so we never forget the blood. We praise Him for the blood. And the Bible just goes on and, and on and we'll read some more. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. And so such a stark contrast between the sacrifice of an animal and the sacrifice of the Son of God. Where only in that covenant, only in that condition could one man enter into the holiness of God. And he could only do so once a year. But through the blood of Jesus Christ, we have access to the very presence of God. We, 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 we experienced this morning the very holiness of God Himself in the room. Imagine that. God's holiness dwelling with man. In the Old Testament, we, we see the story of Moses where he would put a, God would say like, put a, <clears throat> put a ring around the mountain. Don't let anyone come near the mountain. If they touch the mountain, they will die. But now through the blood of Jesus Christ, he says, come up the mountain. The mountain is for everybody. And so 24 seven, we can enter into and have access to the very person of God, to hear his voice, to know his ways, to experience his love. But it's only through Jesus. It's only by the blood. In Romans chapter five, verse nine, it says this, since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. And so through the blood of Jesus Christ, we find justification. 
That word justified, you can break it up very simply, means it's just as if I never sinned. And so through the blood of Jesus, like we read in Hebrews chapter 10, where that sacrifice of the atonement that they would bring every year, it was just a reminder of their sin. And so just to cover up of what I did in that year, and I cover up of what I did in that year, and I cover up of what I did in that year. But through the blood of Jesus, it says I'm justified. I'm not guilty. And this is, it's crazy. The Father looks at you and He says, I find no sin in you. But Lord, you don't know what I did. It's like, I don't know what you did. That's right. Because I threw it into the sea of forgetfulness. He looks at you clean. He looks at you pure. As you, as you sit here this morning, as a believer, you are holy. You're a saint. You are pure, accepted in the Father's side. He finds no wrong in you. He does not disqualify you in any way or for any reason. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we are justified. And the last one, Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. And they have conquered him, talking about Satan. That stupid snake that was right in the beginning, right? I love it. It started there and it ends here. And through the blood, as we said, and your head, your foot will crush his head. And so it says here in Romans chapter, sorry, Revelation chapter 12, verse 11 says, and they have conquered him, conquered Satan. Who has conquered him? We have. This is us, the saints. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And so through the blood of Jesus Christ, we get to reign in this life. We are not victims to the enemy. We are not his puppets. We are not his play dolls that he can torment and do with whatever he wants. We are in authority over him. He is not over us, He is under our feet. We reign in this life. We have authority over demons. We have authority over darkness. Satan no longer tells me what to do, I tell him what to do. That's the authority of the believer. But it's only through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's only by Him. It's only by the the Lamb that was slain. The one who gave His life for us. And so as we look at this, right, we look at the severity of sin and we see God's response through the blood of Jesus Christ. This morning we will find ourselves in two camps. The first one being the believer. We can look at that and our response is, thank you, Jesus. Praise you, God, for the lamb that was slain. Praise you, God, for the blood. My response is, okay, Lord, I, I, I see it. I, I, let me not mock. Let me not make a mockery of your blood. Let me bring correction to my life. If there's areas where I need to repent, Lord, where you've exposed my heart this morning, Lord, let me repent and let me come back in line. Let me honour the blood. Let me honour the sacrifice was made. 
That's the first camp. The second camp is this, is that you may be sitting here this morning and you're not a believer. In other words, you've never given your life to Jesus. You've never made a declaration of faith in the blood of Jesus. And maybe you have come this morning just as a conscience bath. You know your, your life isn't right. You said, let me just come to church to please Him. Or let me just say my prayers this morning. Or let me just read my Bible so that, you know, I don't really even believe any of it. But I'm just going to do it so that He's not angry with me anymore. And so these truths that are, that are shared, like I said, I'm not trying to scare you. But it's real life. Outside of Jesus, every one of us here, outside of Jesus, we inherit, we're just like Adam and Eve. Where we inherit the consequences of sin. Only through Jesus Christ is there redemption. And so in your life, you will be experiencing death. Spiritually, socially, mentally, physically, financially. Because you have not yet been redeemed. And then greater than that, there will be a day of judgment. It's not airy-fairy. It's real truth. And so I want everybody to close their eyes. And I, I implore you with all of my heart this morning. If you're sitting here this morning and you are not in relationship with Jesus, you know you need to be born again. You know you need to put your faith in the blood of Jesus because the truth has told you this morning, it's only through the blood that there is freedom. It's only through the blood that there is life. It's only through the blood that there is eternal life with Jesus Christ in heaven after this life is done. You will not live forever. One day you will face truth. And I ask you, face that truth now rather than then.